mm-hmm. to frame him for murder. Yeah. I wouldn't mind getting in a car and driving away from that nonsense. Yeah, Yeah. while eating like what, Kit Kats or something? (laughs) Jillian Flynn's Gone Girl is a thriller about the terrible secrets that can hide in a marriage. And there's not a whole lot more I can tell you about the plot without giving away the twists. But I assume you know a little bit about what happens. This is a book that everyone loves, hates, or loves to hate. Hello and welcome to The Best Book Ever, the podcast where we get to know interesting people by asking them about their favorite book. I'm your host, Julie Strauss, and I am delighted that award-winning thriller author V.P. Morris joined me today to talk about these extremely unreliable narrators, why shady women are so interesting, and the matchless twists and feminist manifestos that Gillian Flynn surprised us with in this taut psychological thriller. Now, I have to give you an official spoiler warning. We decided that there really is no way to discuss this book without discussing the plot twists. So if you have not read Gone Girl, I suggest you go do it now. If I can't convince you to read the book, I'd suggest that you go watch the surprisingly faithful movie adaptation, which is well worth your time. Then, come on back here and listen to V.P. Morris tell me why Gone Girl is the best book ever. Hi, V.P. Welcome to the Best Book Ever podcast. Hey, Julie. Thank you for having me on. I'm so excited to have you on. I'm, I have been wanting someone to choose this book literally since I started this podcast, so I'm thrilled we get to talk about it. But first, I have to ask you a, a question about a really painful subject, and that is that you told me you are on a mm-hmm. book buying ban this year. Yes. Tell me what this is about. So it's not necessarily a full-on ban, but I made a list of 102 books that I'm making myself read before I'm allowed to get anything else like that is not on the list. So I had this problem where on like Instagram or Pinterest, I was just saving a bunch of books, you know, like the little save features all these social media platforms have. And, you know, then I would forget about them. And you know, then they would pop up in my feed again, like four months later. And I was like, oh, crap, I meant to read that book or like suddenly everyone's talking about it. And I was like, oh, you know, like I forgot. I saw the the pre-order and it just slipped my mind. I saved it and forgot it. So on this like random day, I just decided to like go through all of my social media that I had saved anything regarding a book. And I it just so happened to come to 102. It's not like a number I picked. It just that was the total. Some of them I, I was like, oh, I don't want to read that anymore. I, I was like caught off guard by the title and it wasn't the thing I, I wanted. So yeah. not all of them made the, the list, but all of the ones that had like a description or a title or something that was really interesting, I I just wrote down, I made this huge master spreadsheet in Google Sheets and I have like all, like it's such a nerd thing to do, but I just like, for some reason, it made me feel like more, I don't know, like more in control because I kind of don't like just reading by the by whims because I it, then I don't feel like I'm kind of a, achieving anything I'm kind of like you know I was like a, a nerd straight A student so I feel like I have to be like working towards something um <laughs> so I have like a you know I have like the you know the author the the publisher like stuff written down about the book just so I can like keep track of it and it also made me like there's been books I was an English major but there were books that I didn't get a chance to read because I didn't take those classes. So I decided to like put some of these classics that I missed while I was getting my 
education down. Like I've never read uh, Love in the Time of Cholera and I've always wanted to. So I put that like that on the list, like, oh, what's the ones that I kind of missed when I was in school? And so I've got this huge list and, and then I'm kind of letting myself pick from the list as I want to. I don't have to go in a particular order. Some are from the library, some are from Kindle, some are ones that I've pre-ordered and they've shown up, but it's kind of, um, it's kind of keeping me like more focused and it's made me read more because I'm trying to read one book a week. So, you know, 102 is going to take me, you know, like almost two years to finish and, I'm now like, it's like the 32nd week of the year and I'm at 32 books. So it's, it's kept me like committed in a way that it, it like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an avid reader, but nothing like this list has made me like want to read as much as I've had, because I feel like I'm checking something off. Like I'm doing something. I'm not just doing it for fun, even though it is for fun. I'm, you know, like there's no seriousness behind it, but it's like, oh, I, I want to check another book off my list. And I've discovered some stuff that like, I'm glad I, I didn't put it off anymore. There's like been some stuff, some really good reads on there that I was like, why did I put this off for like five <laughs> years? This book changed my life. So. Okay. So I misunderstood this then. So I thought it was books that you had sitting around your house, the TBR shelf that. Not necessarily. So it's like, I can buy books. I just can't buy off of the list, if that makes sense. I have to completely, like, I have to complete this list before I can go off script and, and start just purchasing willy, willy-nilly. Because sometimes you get in those habits of, like, you go to Barnes & Noble and you just, like, pick random stuff off the shelf. And it's not, like, I've had problems with that where they're not, like, as tailored to my preferences as a reader. They kind of just have, like, a cool cover. And I'm like, oh, I'll just buy this. And I, I end up hating it. So it was more, like, putting more thought into what I'm reading versus just like, oh, that one looks cool. Or some person mentioned this book one time. So what do you do then about the ongoing fire hose of new books coming out? It's nonstop. So are you creating another list? Um, I am saving, like, if there is something that looks particularly interesting that, um, that I keep seeing and that like kind of sticks in my mind, I will save it like in the, the Instagram save feature or something like that. But like, if a friend's recommending me a book, I kind of will tell them like, I will get to it. Or if they know about my <laughs> list, I'll be like, well, I'll get to it after my list is done. I want my, my list done first because I'm kind of sick of putting off all of these cool books that I've heard about for all these, this time. So, you know, if, if especially if the book is a new release, if it came out this year, I, I'll have time to like read and that by that time, there'll be much more discourse around it and much more interesting content on the internet to like, I like looking up reviews and like what uh, other people have said about it. Something I've noticed talking to readers on this podcast is there's, a, there are definitely readers who want to go in knowing nothing at mm-hmm. all. You know, I've met readers who don't even read the the inner flap or the back cover. They just mm-hmm. want to go in. It's really interesting to me that you want to read it when there's discourse available. That's really yeah. fascinating. Yeah. I have the same way with, with movies, which thankfully like movies are a bit more, I guess, expedient because it only takes like an hour to watch one where it takes books like a, a week to, to finish reading one. I don't mind actually being spoiled sometimes. Like, I mean, because obviously we're going to talk about Gone Girl. A lot of people knew the twist of Gone Girl before like they read it. You, you know, you had to be kind of the, on the ground first readers to actually been surprised by it. Um, and I didn't get to it for a few years. So I already knew like the twist. Um, but I don't think it changed the experience of reading it. And 
And that's the thing, it's kind of like a to me, reading or watching a movie, any sort of story is a roller coaster. So like you could go, you know, someone could tell you, oh, there's a giant drop in this roller coaster, and then you're gonna be flipped upside down and then you're gonna be spun sideways. But does that is that doing it the same thing? You know, it's if someone's like, oh, the girl dies in the end. Well, that's not the experience of feeling the girl die. You know, it's like even if you get the information ahead of time, you're still not experiencing it. So like I I read and watch movies for the like emotional roller coaster. So even mm-hmm. if someone's like, oh, there's a big XYZ thing that happens in the middle, I still want to go on that roller coaster, you know? So it's it's like, yeah, my husband's a huge roller coaster enthusiast. So if some guy was like, oh, there's a huge drop, he's not gonna then not want to go on the roller coaster. So I obviously I don't spoil other people if they are, you know, if they don't want to know any information, I will keep my mouth shut. But some people they get so excited about books and they'll want to tell me everything. And I'll be like, you know what, just spoil it. Like, I want your enthusiasm, just spoil it. And maybe I'll even forget about it. Or like, I will want to go on that journey by myself and see how the roller coaster works out for me. So like, if you're, if you want to just like scream about the ending to me and I haven't read it, then just do it because I want to hear your experience. I love that analogy so mm-hmm. much because roller coaster is perfect because people who love roller coasters they're more excited when they look at mm-hmm. it and they go, my God, look at that drop right there. Yeah. I cannot wait to get on this thing. I'm going to announce right now that we are, we're going to talk spoilers on this. Mm-hmm. Listeners, if you haven't read it and if you haven't seen the movie, just go read it right now and then come back. It's 10 years old. You've been warned. First, let me ask you this. Um, are, is thriller your go-to genre? Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Thriller and, and, and horror are my go-to genres. I, I'm, I'm odd. I, I like to watch horror and write slash read thriller, but I, I mean, I will obviously watch thriller and, and read horror, but, um, but thriller is like, if I'm going to like, hypothetically, I don't have anything to read on an airplane and I'm in one of those little bookstores in the airport, I'm going to go for a thriller to keep myself occupied. That's like my go-to. It's, it's like, I like having very high stakes in a, in a story. So even though I do have like a spot in me for like romance or women's fiction, something that's a bit more light and character focused, if I, you know, if I'm on a desert island, I want thriller essentially. You know, and I always get so mad when people talk dismissively about airport, airport books and they always yeah. say it in that exact tone of voice, like, oh, mm-hmm. it's just an airport book. That makes me so mad. Those are the best books. Those books where you can't, you don't lift your head up and until you land mm-hmm. and you go, oh my God, we're already in Florida. What? Yeah. I mean, also it took the same number of hours, most likely for that author to create their airport book. So just because it may not have won a Pulitzer doesn't necessarily mean that it's a, you know, that it's cheap or that it's, you know, it only took the author like three hours to write, like the amount yeah. of love and care that goes into anything that's on any shelf anywhere is a lot. So I don't really talk down about where the book was purchased or or if it's like, oh, it's, it's book club or, oh, it's women's whatever. Like it took the same amount of effort, generally speaking, for that author to make it. So like, I think it still deserves respect, even if it's something that you hate. So, and you know this well, because you're also Mm -hmm. an author. Can you tell us a little bit about your own work? Yes. So I have two thriller novels out right now, as well as a few um, Amazon Kindle short reads. Um, My novels are called Shadowcast and Dead Ringer. Um, The first one, Shadowcast, is about a young woman who starts a true crime podcast to find out what happened to her best friend from high school who went missing. And little does she know the man responsible for said disappearance is listening in and messing with the Mm. investigation. 
And yes, dun, dun, dun. Mm, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's that one, it, that was my first release. Um, and it's, it, it has like over 500 reviews on, on Amazon. It's it kind of, um, not necessarily blew up in like a huge gone girl way, but it got a lot of like really good reviews. So I'm, I'm very proud of that one. And I just recently released Dead Ringer. It, it only came out a few months ago and it's about a, a young woman who's led a hard life, um, a lot of low level crime. She's got a, a record, a bad reputation, and she decides that she's going to take over the life of a dead girl who looks just like her. And so she infiltrates this like uh, this wholesome cheerleader, all American girl who's you know a few years younger her younger than her goes to high school, and it turns out that girl's family is hiding like a really messed up, deadly secret. So now she has to like hide her her, her fake new family secret and make sure that they don't find out who she really is. Oh my god, those both sound so yeah. good. Which is it's. I'm going to do the thing that the movies do based off of a true story, even though it's a very small asterisk. No. Yeah, the so second one is based on a true story? Not the not the insane part about the family, but there, <laughs> um, there has actually been, back in like 2016 or so, there's an article that came out in the Atlantic about there was this like random little like trend of adults faking their identification to go back to high school to relive their glory days. Yeah. What the hell? It's kind of sad. It was mostly it was mostly men who wanted who got injured doing like college ball and wanted to play like football with young like you know they were like twenty and they wanted to play football with sixteen year olds and be like I'm the man you know because they're you know four years older and they're bigger and they're stronger but they're not good enough to make it to the pros. And then there was this case of a, a young woman who had her daughter at fifteen. She had to drop out of high school. And she switched identification with her daughter after she became a teenager because she wanted to relive her high school experience that she missed because she got pregnant so young. And I kind of like, even though there's no pregnancy in this book, um, I liked the idea of someone who like had a rough life and is using high school as like a way to kind of like, I don't know, uh, rebuild their reputation or like try to get another start on life. Unfortunately, the woman was caught and it was clear that she was not a teenager, but I um I was like, well, what if I take this to the extreme of like, what if someone really infiltrated like a teenager's life and was just like an adult in a high school and no one caught them? Like, wouldn't like that would be crazy. But yeah, it's it's a way like I find horror and thriller to be very empowering for women. I think that like writing about like which I mean we'll touch on we talk about Jillian Flynn because she kind of feels the same way that like society expects women to be like good and men to be like the evil perpetrators. And it's kind of nice to let sort of that kind of like id part of your psyche out in your writing because it's less socially acceptable for women to be like physically aggressive or to be verbally aggressive. So it's it's kind of nice to write a character who does crazy stuff because, you know, you there's less opportunity as a small woman to be like get in a bar fight or do various other crazy things that like a six foot five jacked dude could do that I can't without dying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My friends, I know you've just barely settled into your pumpkin spice latte season, and now I have the audacity to point out that the holidays are coming upon us fast. I'm hard at work on my third annual Kids in YA gift-giving episode, where I interview a bunch of young people about books, and I would love to talk to your favorite young reader. This is my most popular episode every year, and my favorite to record, because kids are my favorite people. If you know a young person, ages 5 to 20, who would like to tell me about a book, I would love to talk to them. Check the show notes or go to my website, 
bestbookeverpodcast.com and click on the button that says, be a guest on the third annual Kids YA Gift Giving Guide. I can't wait to hear from you. Now, back to the show. Um, do you remember how you first came across this book? Um, yeah, I actually remember my aunt was like, you're going to like this book. I was in college for English Lit and I was just like, um, I'm busy reading like medieval texts. I do not have time for like <laughs> trashy thrillers because, you know, I was I was at that point where I was like, I'm too cool for everyone because I'm reading right. stuff from the 15th century. Yeah. I, me and my friends are giant English lit nerds and we're, you know, we like to like to this day, I still send my English lit friends like Shakespeare memes and various other like nerd related things. So at the time I was like, oh, like, what does she know about? <laughs> you didn't anything? read airport books in those yeah, days. I was like, I am too busy reading <laughs> Master and Margarita. I don't have time for this. Right. Um but I mean, like, she did understand that I like twists and like I like psychological like guessing games. So, like the movies that I talk about, like I'm a big Hitchcock fan. So she knew that I like that sort of thing. But I kind of thought it was just going to be like, oh, there's a drama between a husband and a wife. Did he kill her? Did he not? Whatever. I kind of was like, I've I've seen that before of like you know a, a marital trouble and maybe mm. murder happening. And I was like, how revolutionary could this possibly be? And then like a few years later, you know, it gets turned into a movie. It kind of blows up as like more of a cultural phenomenon. And then I was like, wait a minute, maybe I should give it another thought. And I actually caught um, an interview Jillian Flynn did, which is still up on YouTube, I believe, for the 92nd Y in New York City. And she was talking about how she writes her female characters and how she likes them to exist in a world of gray that they're not these like damsels that need to be rescued or they're the shining light that can like redeem the man, which we see a lot in fiction of like the girl is so pure and so Mm -hmm. innocent and sweet. Of course she can save, like make the bad guy not be bad anymore, but she doesn't want them to be these like kind of femme fatale one note villains that are like, Oh, evil, like, like Ursula from little mermaid. She didn't, she didn't want them to be these like harpy villains and that all of her female characters and all of her books are the main characters are are in these shades of gray that they do redeeming things and they also do some really slimy gross awful things and she wanted them to feel like real troubled people and i was like that's what i want to both read and write so i i caught that and i was like you know what i think i should finally give her writing a chance so now i've i've read everything that she's written as far as i could find and i i just love that i love the way she went about character. If you were to hand this book to someone who hadn't read it, how would you summarize it for them? Um, I would say it's like a murder mystery that gets interrupted halfway with like a feminist manifesto (laughs) (laughs) and or like it honestly like that that switch the switch from like you know I think this man may kill me to like being on the run. It's like that record scratch moment in like 90 sitcoms of like, how did I get here? <laughs> I, I like that. Like, <laughs> um, it also like it's it, the, the second half of the book or when we get Amy's perspective is like, if you took a femme fatale from like an old school noir and you actually gave her a real backstory, that's what I think it is. It's like a flushed out femme fatale. I think if I had to give it like a three word, like elevator pitch, that's what it is. So it's like, Amy is clearly bad for everyone. She's not a nice person. She's got problems. 
But if a man or another type of author got a hold of Amy, he would just make her this like stock villain that we've seen in various other detective or mystery things where it's the really hot chick who walks into the office and is like, I need, I need help. I need a detective. And it's like, oh, it was me all along. Ha ha ha. And tries to shoot him. And you never get her motivation other than maybe she wanted money. Maybe she wanted fame. Maybe she wanted uh, attention, but that's it. It's like one note, but Amy is super complex. So like, she's actually a real person under the femme fatale and that there's actually like societal things her own parents even that have pushed her to be that like stock character. And like, there's even a moment where she's saying to Nick about being the nagging wife, like, don't make me be this person. Like, don't make me take on the stereotype of the nagging wife. And it's like every other person in her world has made her take on a role. So it's like her parents made her be amazing. Amy, uh, various other men have made her be the cool girl she like had to perform the role of like perfect wife. So, and then she's like, I'm going to perform the role of like missing wife. So I I like that, that we get to understand that like everything she does is an act or that it's kind of like other people expecting her to be a certain way. And that it's not just her like sitting alone in a dark cave being like, Oh, I'm going to be the evilest woman in the world. And I'm going to frame this guy for murder. Like there's other forces at work. That cool girl manifesto. Yeah. Every woman felt that to her bones. And I think I think she does a great job of absolutely mm-hmm. playing with all of those things of mm-hmm. when you realize that Amy is very, very bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is such a shocking moment because we are so trained by this. Mm-hmm. If they're a perfect all-American couple and 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 she's this beautiful, slim, blonde woman. Obviously, she's the one who is suffering the abuse. Mm-hmm. And that flip mid-book, when you realize how you've been played into your own gendered expectations, mm-hmm. I think it is the most magnificent twist. Yeah, and, it, and it's all her doing. Because, like, there have been other books where, like, you think the victim is dead, but then it's, like, oh, she's, like, been kidnapped, which it, then the agency is gone. Like, mm-hmm. so even, so, like, the kind of paradigm that I see in, like, mystery novels is, like, a woman goes missing, she's either kidnapped or dead. And there's no, like, it, the chances of her being the perpetrator is, like, none. And, and that's the flip is, like, She's still alive, but not because like, oh, some evil guy took her to hide out in, you know, his dungeon. She's alive because she wants to be like she wants to actually like screw him over, which is just like that's amazing. And it's also like really interesting because like she also goes after his reputation. Like I like it's very conniving. Like I like that it's not just like she wants him locked up in prison. She wants people to think he's a wife murderer. Like she, mm-hmm. there's very few villains that are like, I want the world to see you as a scumbag as your punishment. And like, I don't even, even care too much about the physical like ramifications. Like you can continue being alive. Like at the end, she very clearly could kill him at any time she wants to. Like it's been clear she's capable of anything. Um, but she keeps him alive because she wants him to have to live with the reputation she's created as like a a guy who was like wrongfully accused. And now that's his narrative. It's like, she wants to be in control of the narrative. And I really, I like that about her, that she's smarter than a lot of other villains who kind of just care about the short game. Yeah. 
what is terrifying is that pre-calculation. And, and like, just to pivot, I think Margot's the unsung hero of this book. Mm. Like, she's the only, like, closest to normal as anyone else's in the book because Nick has clearly his head up his own ass because he doesn't know anything that's going on in his life. And and Amy is obviously a conniving psychopath. So like the average person is not like her. Margot is the only one in this book that has like her head on her shoulders and is like, this isn't right. What's going on here is wrong. And Nick's like, it's fine. Like, no, it's not fine. So she's kind of like the the audience surrogate or like the only person who acts like a normal human during all of this. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, sort of a tonic to because mm-hmm. otherwise you would really get you would really feel like you're just in a fun house. Even the lawyer yeah. who's trying to help him, you know, he's such a flamboyant character. Yeah. I mean, ev- uh, most people involved are kind of nutty, right? He clearly doesn't care whether or not his client is actually guilty. He just wants to win or he wants to like show off to the world that he can like get anyone out of anything. Like everyone has their own like shitty agenda and it, actually it's kind of interesting that like when crime happens people don't just like even though they might drop everything to help like all those volunteers they all have like a motive to get their 15 minutes of fame or to be like oh I was there when they found the body or I was there when he confessed like people have their own little motives and I, I think the the way the writing is really shows that like some of these people who have good intentions are really like not great people too. Okay. I want to read you this um, as I was getting ready to talk to you, because I also mm-hmm. like to go on and read reviews and conversations and things. And I, I love an unreliable narrator, mm-hmm. but I read this great analysis that says this, the book has two Nicks and two Amy's real Nick. Who's just a regular guy, fake Nick. Who's the cool guy who seduced Amy, mm-hmm. fake Amy, who's diary Amy the nice Mm -hmm. goody two shoes girl. And then real Amy, who's the conniving mastermind. And then if you think of it that way, and then you realize that real Nick was attracted to fake Amy, real Amy was attracted to fake Mm -hmm. Nick, real Nick and real Amy hate each other. Yeah. (laughs) But also can't live without each other Mm -hmm. because they are the only ones who understand each other. Yeah. And, And interestingly enough, because like we don't get, you know, we're only getting their perspective. Amy never stops to think that maybe men get pressured to play the cool guy. I mean, obviously there's a bit more sexism towards women playing the cool girl, but she kind of is like, I had to put on this role for you. Like, how dare you betray me? But maybe he's thinking like, he doesn't have the same intellect or the same depth to him to think about that. Even though there's a point where he does kind of acknowledge that he had to put on a bit of a show to get Mm -hmm. her attention and, and woo her. He doesn't give it a character. Like he doesn't have a, cool guy monologue but I feel like a smarter man could have articulated that that maybe to get you know this gorgeous woman who comes from money he had to be this like mysterious playboy-esque type figure to get her and and maybe there are men out there who feel the the need that they have to lie about who they are to be viewed as attractive and maybe that's like a almost like an inverse sexism maybe there's something that we put on men that they have to be perfect too in a different way. And I think we've talked a lot about the movie in this conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think that actually speaks to the fact that this is one of the rare instances where the movie got it right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously there, there are some small subplots that were left out, but for the most part, I thought this movie nailed it. Yeah. Were you happy yeah. with it? Oh, I'm, I'm very happy with it. It's one of my favorite movies and like, and 
David Fincher is probably my favorite director. That's in the story. It is very, very close to the book. They only cut out what is unnecessary to tell the story. Um, I kind of hate when there's too much liberty and all of a sudden things are like completely different. The characters are different. Like um, the uh, most recent persuasion um, catastrophe. (laughs) People are so mad about that. (laughs) I am mad. I got 10 minutes into it. and I was like, I hate this so much. I can't. So V, tell me what you're reading Mm -hmm. these days. So I just started, I'm only a few pages in um, to When All the Girls Are Sleeping by Emily Arsenault. And um, it's about, it's like a paranormal YA thriller of a, a boarding house that's like, haunted or may not be haunted I have not yet found out by the ghost of a girl who died on the premises uh like the year before two years prior um and and so I I really I I really like even though I don't write a lot of paranormal I like paranormal stuff it actually really gets under my my skin I I was really dumb when my husband was on a business trip I read um Home Before Dark by Riley Singer and never write I was really dumb. I was like, I should not read this book while I'm alone at home in the in the dark. I was getting creeped out. Yeah. Um, I'm also reading a nonfiction book called How to Decide by Annie Duke, and it is blowing my mind. Blowing. It's like the best self-help book I've ever read in my entire life. And I'm really? only like 25% of the way through. Um, so Annie Duke, for those who don't know, is the um most successful female poker champion in the world. And okay. She has like a PhD or a PsyD in um, cognitive psychology, I believe. And, and so she um, is a expert on decision making. And her whole book is on how to make better decisions based on like both the research and her experience. Because like poker, when you're making bets and, and calling bluffs and whatnot, is all about decisions. Yeah. So she's using both her research and her experience as a poker champion to tell you how to make better decisions. And it's it's not as like, it's not what you think it is. It's one of those things where you would, you think it's all about the outcome, but it's not. It's all about the process that you use to make the decision. So it's, it's really like the example she uses is like, if you run a red light and you don't get hit by a car, was that still a good decision? No. So it's like the outcome was fine. You lived, you got to your location faster than you normally would have, but would you recommend that to somebody else? The answer is no. So it's kind of like, what was the process that led you to make that decision? Because the outcome could be a million things. Like if you decided to break at a stop sign and some drunk guy hits you, was you breaking at a stop sign a bad decision? No, you were following the rules of the road. And generally that's a good decision. It just so happens that this one time luck got in the way and bad something, something bad happened to you. So it's, it's, um, it's teaching you to not focus on the outcomes of your decisions and focus on how you got there. So I recommend like anyone, I'm assuming a lot of your listeners are obviously book lovers and we tend to get in our heads a lot and we tend to like overthink, like, you know, we might think about, I shouldn't have said that embarrassing thing at like in gym class when I was 14. Like, you know, we tend to go back and like harp on decisions that we've made if we're very introverted or introspective. And this is like kind of helping me let go of like, okay, maybe I didn't make the best decision however many years ago. But like, here's the thought process that led me there. And maybe I can tailor it to make that a better thought process in the future. I, I already, I'm, you know, I haven't finished it, but I'm, I'm already giving it like the big seal of approval. All right. Will you share uh, with our listeners where they can find you? 
Yeah. So um, I have a website, vpmorris.com. You can find my books, like I said, on Amazon and on um, barnesandnoble.com. I'm on both Instagram and Twitter at T write repeat, which is like the drink and the thing you do with your hands (laughs) writing. Um, So T write repeat. And then at VP Morris writer on Facebook. Super. Well, I want to thank you for joining me today. I want to thank you for choosing this book. I have been really eager to talk about this book with someone. And and as it turns out, I'm thrilled that I got to talk to a thriller writer about this work. It's absolutely perfect serendipity. So thank you so much for joining me today. And I hope you'll come back anytime you have a book you want to tell me about. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It was super fun talking about it. Now, I know y'all have a lot of opinions about this book, and I can't wait to hear them. Let me know your thoughts over on Instagram at Best Book Ever Podcast. Links to everything we discussed are in the show notes or at my website, bestbookeverpodcast.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with your favorite thriller-loving friend and rate it on your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining me today, and I will see you at the library. I have to say, you are the first person I have ever met who calls Northanger Abbey her favorite Jane Austen. Um, Because yeah, I'm not like other girls. I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to full circle cool girl moment. <laughs>